0: I'm Stephen Hundley from IUPUI, and this is Leading Improvements in Higher Education, a service of the Assessment Institute in Indianapolis. Our sponsor for this season is Watermark, the largest global provider of educational intelligence software solutions for higher education. Learn more at watermarkinsights.com. This is the second of a special two-part episode of the podcast featuring track leaders of the Assessment Institute, each of whom are providing a recap of major themes from this year's event held in late October 2020. This episode features leaders representing these tracks. The Student Affairs Programs and Services Track, the Global Learning Track, the Graduate and Professional Education Track, the Community Engagement Track, and the STEM Education Track. Each of these track leaders share important insights and ideas, all during this special two part episode of Leading Improvements in Higher Education. We are here today with three IUPUI colleagues of mine who are track leaders for the Student Affairs Programs and Services track at the Assessment Institute. These colleagues are Caleb Keith, Sonia Nignon, and Linda Wardhammer. Caleb, Sonia, Linda, welcome to the program. Thank you, Stephen.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: Glad you're all here. And in fact, I should acknowledge Caleb Keith is playing uh, sort of double duty. He is a producer, of course, of leading improvements in higher education and also a track leader with Sonia and Linda and our colleague Johnny Pryor from IEPUI for the Student Affairs Programs and Services track. So Linda, let's jump right in. Uh, describe the purpose of this track and why it's important to our work in assessment and improvement. Linda.
2: The student affairs program and services track highlights the use of various assessment methods by student affairs professionals to demonstrate the impact of co-curricular activities on student learning, development, well-being and success. The track is intended for higher education professionals of all levels who are interested in measuring and improving programs and services offered by student affairs and other co-curricular units. This track acknowledges the time students spend interacting with our institutions outside of the classroom and serves as a complement to assessment taking place in academic and, co- and curricular settings.
0: Linda, thank you. And in fact, the track has grown in popularity and in scope over the past several years. And Caleb, to you now, what are some of the more important cross-cutting themes, ideas, trends that you've been noticing in the programs offered
3: at this year's track? Well, thank you, Stephen. Some of the themes that we saw across the student affairs programs and services track include uh, a recommendation for student affairs practitioners and co-curricular educators to continue to collaborate with colleagues from academic affairs, institutional research, and professional organizations and associations, including the National Institute of Learning Outcomes Assessment, the Council for the Advancement of Standards in Higher Education, and the student affairs assessment leaders, among others, in order to create effective programs and services for face-to-face and virtual audiences. Of course, this includes robust assessment focused on continuous improvement. Additionally, there was an emphasis on providing programs and services that are rooted in existing theoretical frameworks and grounded in extant literature. The track emphasized the need uh, for practitioners to endeavor to advance the diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda of higher education. Another theme related to uh, the admonition that student affairs practitioners should continue to focus on students' well being, especially in the COVID 19 era, which we know has forced us to be more flexible, resilient, and creative in the ways we operate and deliver on our services for students. Assessment certainly matters now maybe even more than ever before. And finally, the uh, student affairs programs and services track keynote by Dr. Frank Shushak, who serves as the vice president for student affairs at Virginia Tech, highlighted the role that assessment professionals can play in creating a cultural change on our campuses. I'll end my response with a brief quote from that keynote, wherein he said, I implore you, Do not underestimate the quiet yet profound influence you have on students, their education, and their lives. This is what you're doing when you're doing what you're doing. I'm afraid if you are not relentless in reminding yourself, you can forget that assessment leaders are fundamentally champions of change, innovation, and cultural movements that influence students and their well-being. Thanks again, Stephen. Stephen. Caleb, thanks. You're reminding us of a quote from Dr. Frank Shushak,
0: who indicates we need to be champions of change, innovation, and cultural movements. So Sonia, to you, what are some of the themes and opportunities related to the presentations in the student affairs programs and services track this year? Sonia.
1: Sure. Thanks, Dr. Hundley. So we've identified a trends or major themes from the student affairs track this year. The first one is greater collaboration between student affairs, academic affairs, institutional research and professional organizations, such as the National Institute of Learning Outcomes Assessment, the Council for the Advancements of Standards in Higher Education, and the student affairs assessment leaders, among others. Next, we would like to focus on exploring opportunities to engage and support students remotely. Examples provided were telehealth, virtual programs, and reflective essays. We need to think proactively of ways to be adaptable in offering and assessing our programs and services for students. Third, Engage students in our assessment process. Students can be our partners in designing surveys, our ambassadors in sharing the results with their peers and getting feedback from their peers. Fourth, advance the diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda in higher education by disaggregating the data to find out if there are gaps in access, experiences, and success. Fifth, front end thinking regarding assessment as a way of designing approaches that will actually help us achieve goals versus back end thinking about assessment as a way of having to prove our worth or for accreditation to show what we did, that we did something. And those points were brought up by Dr. Frank Shushok and Dr. Teresa Ruiz. The sixth point is to consider whether an experience specifically designed to be challenging is actually too challenging for students. If the students are not equipped to handle the challenge, it does not achieve the outcomes we think it will. And when we think about students being equipped, we think about them having a sense of resilience, have great self esteem and persistence. The seventh point is continued and increased attention to and on students' well being, including overcoming crisis. The last point continued focus on creating authentic community and opportunities for meaningful relationships. As Dr. Shushak indicated in his keynote address, we ought to focus on the design of experiences, both curricular and co-curricular, that turn humans toward one another.
0: Sonia, thank you. You're reminding us of important themes, trends, and opportunities related to the Student Affairs Programs and Services presentations in that track this year. And as we conclude, Linda, we'll come back to you on behalf of the team for some final thoughts concerning advice or recommendations you'd like to leave with our listeners today. Linda.
2: Yeah, this actually also pulls from a lot of what our presenters were saying in their uh, various programs. Um, so we we have a few. Um, the first one, the first piece of advice would be to be flexible. And that obviously can apply to all kinds of things. Um, second, embrace our creativity in delivering programs and services for various audiences in different modalities. We've all had to be a lot more flexible over the last several months, and we think that'll, you know, be continuing. And that we can, you know, learn from what we've we've been doing, and and continue to apply it um, moving forward. Uh, don't worry so much about the numbers, but focus more on the impact of our work and, the in, and measuring that with assessment. Uh, remember the role of empathy and care in the work we do. That was definitely a theme that resonated in our track. Um, be open to collaborating with partners both on and off campus and definitely including students. And think of assessment as a way of being intentional with program design, and not just a measurement of program results. And finally, be good to yourself by practicing self-care.
0: Linda, thank you for a summary of the advice and recommendations on behalf of the Student Affairs Programs and Services track. We've been speaking with Linda Wardhammer, Sonia Nignon, and Caleb Keith, all from IUPUI and all leaders of the Student Affairs Programs and Services track at the Assessment Institute. Caleb, Sonia, Linda, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: We are here today with Hilary Kahn and Dawn Whitehead, two colleagues who are leading the global learning track at the Assessment Institute. Hillary is a colleague of mine at IUPUI, and Dawn is at the Association of American Colleges and Universities. Hillary, Dawn, welcome to the program.
4: So glad to be here, Stephen. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Well, thank you. And Dawn, let's come to you first, and we'll begin with a question to you about your track. What is the purpose of the Global Learning Track, and why is this important to our understanding of assessment and improvement?
4: I think the purpose of our track is to advance an understanding of global learning and assessment of global learning to improve student overall learning. Um, and, and Stephen, I'm reminded of, of some words that you wrote in Trends of Assessment, I believe it was in the, in the introduction, where you said there are many definitions of assessment and you conclude that paragraph by referencing Terenzini who said that no matter how you define it, assessment is here to stay. And that's our message with the global learning track, is there are many people in the field who may have different definitions or understandings of global learning, but with this track, we see it as a place to help advance a shared understanding of global learning and the importance of assessing global learning to improve student learning across the board. And I think in this time of greater accountability, which really predates the you know the 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 coronavirus the global push for racial injustice we were already being pushed to show the value of the work that we were doing from our communities from our, our our elected officials and others and in order to show the value we need to assess what students are learning and that includes global learning in all of its form for all of our constituents And through our global learning track, there are often examples of institutional program and course level assessment, which is also important. But I think the other thing that's important about this track is that we bring in a diversity of people and groups that are involved in global learning from faculty, administrators, assessment officers, education abroad and civic engagement professionals to many others that find their way to global learning. So we really see our track as a space for all of these folks to gather and advance conversations about improving the assessment of global learning.
0: Dawn, thank you very much. And Hillary, you've been hearing Dawn describe the purpose of the track and what it endeavors to accomplish. Let's talk about this year's Assessment Institute program. Tell us about some of the major themes, ideas, issues being discussed in global learning track presentations during this year's institute.
5: Sure. Well, I imagine that all the track leaders would say that one major theme running through our sessions this year was the importance of embedding assessment in all aspects of global learning and ultimately across all parts of the educational enterprise. Now, in many ways, this is exactly what Roger Brinley, our keynote speaker, uh, was speaking about. He discussed how institutions must systematically construct learning environments that place global awareness at the core of the academic enterprise. And he actually described this as an ecosystem where it takes a village to foster a global institutional identity where every part of the institution has a role. And he explained how all the pieces from curriculum to finance, to research, to institutional research, to student affairs, to faculty must be engaged in sustaining the connective tissue of global learning. And Roger also argued that global systems and processes are not really just one more thing to add to the academic experience, but rather that they are a central tenet of academia in the 21st century. Therefore, of course, global learning assessment must be embedded in all aspects of global learning and in alignment with institutional missions, data priorities, et cetera. So for the global learning track, Every speaker represented a different entry point into that global learning ecosystem. Speakers considered global learning assessment in virtual exchange and intercultural learning. Mm -hmm. They discussed the importance of embedding assessment in education abroad. And by using digital badges and high impact practices, they focused on global learning assessment in STEM education and all presenters thought comprehensively about global learning for all students, including international students in both curricular and co-curricular settings. So the theme is that the presenters all saw their work as part of a global ecosystem, and they were members of a village that had to work together to sustain it.
0: Hillary, thank you for providing that recap of important uh, trends and themes this year. And in fact, Dawn, pick up on that as we talk about some trends for the future. What opportunities are related to topics in your track do we need to keep an eye on going forward? Dawn.
4: Thanks, Stephen. You know, I think that, you know, first, when I think about the themes, I'm reminded of a lot of the research that has been done in assessment broadly, including some of that work that Trudy has done where she said that. Um, assessment should be authentic, information-rich, and assessment over a longer period of time is preferable to that single snapshot. And Trudy's not alone. Um, Many of our colleagues in the field of education abroad and assessment in that area, assessment of other global learning practices have really pushed for authentic evidence being a part of assessment. So I think that's one trend that we're going to see, people that are going beyond just using a pre-post survey to actually situating their assessment into students' work in real time and in real-world settings. That could be in the classroom and assignment. It could also be a field experience, drawing on what they're seeing in internships. And again, I think this trend of assessment being driven and situated in the context of students' authentic work and and more holistic assessment. I think you also see this in terms of how the value work is being used across the country and in, in, in other nations outside the US. And of course, by value, I'm referring to the valid assessment of learning in undergraduate education that has come out of the work at AAC&U. And when student work is assessed using any of the value rubrics, including the global learning rubric, it is based on student work that is usually part of an assignment students are already doing. And so what we're seeing in, in, in some of the sessions, what we were hearing in some of the conversations, is that whether you're adapting the rubric or using it as it is, many people are looking at how you can assess it, again, drawing on this work that students are already doing. I think one other thing that we saw and we heard in conversations after presentations and during some of the presentations is a broadening of global learning and what the conception of global learning is to include diverse communities in the local context as well. For those who have used our global learning value rubric, there is a dimension for cultural diversity. And in this this dimension, it challenges students to learn respectfully about other cultures, to learn about doing this at the individual and the system levels, to help students think about working collaboratively to reach common goals, and also to challenge them to think about how power structures actually determine hierarchies and inequalities that sometimes limit opportunities due to issues of race class gender nationhood and religion and so i think that's something else that's a new trend is we're seeing this greater integration of global learning with concerns about diversity equity inclusion and i think those conversations we saw occurring in our track as well as in others and one thing that i think is a real trend that that we're seeing in some pockets is a greater conversation occurring across units, across individuals in those offices on different campuses, and it's really important to see that we are listening and learning from each other. So those of us that are talking about assessing global learning, having an opportunity to listen to how global learning is perceived by our colleagues in diversity, equity, inclusion, and in other places. And then finally, I would just say another trend is greater alignment and engagement with those that were looking at assessment of education abroad and and assessment of global learning. With this halt in mobility, many people in the field of education abroad have been looking at doing some different things as their their work has changed with fewer students or no students traveling abroad. And we've seen some connections where there is a closer look at the broad global learning skills and the broad global learning outcomes and how they can connect that better to the work in the area of education abroad. So those are a few of the trends that we see going forward.
0: Dawn, I appreciate your mentioning of those trends. And let me just also acknowledge the value rubrics you uh, mentioned in your answer. Our listeners can learn more about and access those rubrics at the aac website. That's AACU. Dot org. Again, aacu.org, where you can search for value rubrics. And finally, I'll mention uh, you acknowledged Trudy. The Trudy you mentioned is Trudy Banta, of course, a leading scholar in higher education assessment and improvement. And of course, the founding chair of the Assessment Institute. So, Dawn, thanks for those trends. Hillary, let's turn to you now for a piece of advice or recommendation on behalf of the Global Learning Track you would like to leave with our listeners today. Hilary.
5: I guess we would want to advise you to be creative with your approach to assessment. And and perhaps, if you don't mind, perhaps I could go back to Roger Brinley one more time because I think the the concept of ecosystems is very helpful uh, in, in, in thinking about how you might consider creativity. Uh, and, you know, when you think of a traditional ecosystem, you, know, you think of all the organisms and pieces within their various contexts or environments. Um, and you also think about the interrelationships between all of this. Um, and so in all honesty, I, I think I would advise people to focus on those interrelationships. Uh, that's really where global learning assessment is going, find its most meaningful, you know, um, um, Uh, you know, it's most meaningful implementation. So it's not just about the specific departments, you know, or the disciplines or the missions, but one must really think about global learning assessment, actually perhaps all forms of assessment as interrelationships, such that assessment focuses not only on, you know, specifically on what is connected, but also broadly on, on the various units and missions That are connected across institutions. And and you may ask, you know, why is this particularly important for global learning? And it's not coincidental that that this type, that this ability to think across the general and the particular is a critical piece of what makes up a global mindset. So global-mindedness asks our students to think broadly, globally, as well as very specifically about people cultures, places. So as global learning requires learners to nimbly navigate you know, the, the general and the particular, global learning assessment, too, should think about ecosystems, about the connections and the entry points for global learning that are being connected.
0: Ecosystems, interconnectedness, and truly taking a global village. We've been speaking today with Hilary Kahn from IUPUI. Dawn Whitehead from AAC&U, both of whom represent the global learning track as track leaders at the Assessment Institute. Dawn, Hillary, thanks so much for joining us today. Our pleasure. We are here with Jeff Barbie from the College of Medicine at The Ohio State University. Jeff serves as a track leader for the Graduate and Professional Education track at the Assessment Institute. Jeff, welcome to the program.
6: Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: I'm so pleased you're with us, and let's just jump right in and begin with a quick understanding of the purpose of the Graduate and Professional Education track, including why this track is important to our understanding of assessment and improvement.
6: That's a great question. I believe our track is important because it serves as a community for graduate education professionals to come together and have meaningful discussions about what's the expectations of graduate students within their programs, what's expected in other programs, and kind of a, a space for a conversation to understand what the future of graduate education is and where our graduates are going to be going and what's going to be expected out of them in the workforce.
0: So Jeff, the graduate and professional education track is relatively new. Uh, Describe some of the important cross-cutting themes, ideas, and issues that are emerging in the various sessions taking place during this track at the Assessment Institute.
6: One of the themes that re-emerged through the Assessment Institute was how do we assess communication skills? And this ranges from writing to speaking. This seems like a, a skill that every student would have but it looks very different in each genre. And these skills range from writing papers to essays to emails to having one-on-one conversations to giving presentations at a conference. In the medical field, students have to be able to interact with a patient, interact with a peer, a superior, and know the, what's appropriate for those conversations and how to convey information. It's also kind of tricky because graduate students come in at a, a wide range of experiences and skills. And I think a lot of professionals in the graduate sphere really struggle understanding where students come in and where they need to finish before completing and moving out of their their graduate degree.
0: Understanding the skills needed by graduate students, regardless of discipline, a very important skill and a very important concept that you're discussing at the Assessment Institute. And Jeff, if you could consult your crystal ball and look ahead, what do you see are some major trends and opportunities related to topics presented in the graduate and professional education track.
6: Aside from communication, I think an understanding of how to analyze and use data to tell a story is going to be a theme that we're going to see moving forward quite a bit, especially in the medical field, is being able to read journals, understand the studies that are being presented, and being able to take that information and apply it to your own work. As well as the the previous question you asked, I think communication skills are going to be an area of focus that graduate programs will continue to examine and try to improve.
0: Communication skills, data analysis and interpretation, and application of research to one's professional setting, all important trends related to graduate and professional education. Jeff, as we conclude, what's a piece of advice or recommendation you'd like to offer our listeners today?
6: I think it's to be open-minded when you have a new student entering into your program, understand their ability to uh, communicate via writing or via present, presenting information and facts, and start with the baseline of where they are and help them develop a plan of where they need to be by the time they complete their program. Um, if data analysis is something that they are interested in, this is a skill that will only enhance and benefit them going forward in the job market and to always be open-minded and try to collaborate with others outside of their genre.
0: Important reminders for graduate and professional education contexts, but indeed important reminders for all students in all programs in higher education. We've been speaking with Jeff Barbie from the College of Medicine at The Ohio State University, a track leader for the graduate and professional education track at the Assessment Institute. Jeff, thanks so much. Thanks again for having me, Stephen. We are here with track leaders from the STEM education track of the Assessment Institute. We have Nick Curtis, Tony Chase, and Wayne Hilsen. Nick, Tony, Wayne, welcome to the program.
7: Stephen, great to be here. Welcome. How you doing? Thanks for having us.
0: Glad you're all here, and thanks for the leadership you provide to the STEM education track. Nick, let's begin with you, Nick Curtis from Marquette University, but also a track leader for STEM education. What is the purpose of this track, and why is it important to our understanding of assessment and improvement? Uh, Well, the STEM education track of the IUPUI Assessment Institute
8: is dedicated to providing a platform for discussing the issues of assessment in higher education STEM programs. Uh, Stem programs share many of the same issues that other programs do when it comes to assessment, issues like using assessment for improvement, how to gather quality data, engaging faculty and students in assessment, and balancing accreditation and assessment priorities, among others. Yet the unique aspects of stem programs resulting from attempts to transcend content-only education, Uh, to focus instead on authentic scientific practices across the disciplines, requires a forum for those embedded in those practices to converse meaningfully about how to align those complicated educational practices with correspondingly meaningful and potentially complicated assessment practices. So in providing a space for these conversations in the Assessment Institute STEM track, we hope to encourage a community of practice that focuses on ways in which to align STEM assessment practices with the goals of exemplary assessment leading to improving our educational practices for students.
0: Nick, thanks so much in describing some of the unique qualities of the STEM education track. Uh, Let's turn now to Tony Chase from IEPUI, another one of the track leaders in STEM education. Tony, thinking about this year's Assessment Institute, what were some of the important cross-cutting themes, ideas, and issues discussed during the various presentations?
7: Thanks, Stephen. Well, I think first and foremost, it has been extremely encouraging to see the large amount of participation across um, a lot of different roles and a lot of different um, venues of assessment that that occur. Uh, and so, we had a wide variety of discussion and of, of engagement with um, with assessment folks, um, and, and to really understand exactly what they're doing. I think that um, one of the things that that we see is um, is, is firstly just a focus on uh, moving away from the simplistic assessment of learning gains or of test scores, uh, but really looking at um, sort of quote-unquote softer skills, but, but really the deeper psychological pieces that, um, that really plague students, especially in the times that we're in right now, um, trying to understand things like motivation and anxiety and stress within students, trying to understand things um, like uh, self-efficacy and self-worth that, that really occur. I think this is one of the cross-cutting themes that really has uh, penetrated the, uh, st- this, the STEM education uh, piece of the, of the assessment Institute. And secondly, I think that uh, one of the things that, that I saw a lot of, 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 individuals speaking about and presenting on were just their um, their specific strategies to adapt. Uh, We obviously have gone through um, a series of events in our country and in our world um, that have caused uh, life to just look different for educators and life to look different for students. And so assessment itself has had to adapt. And we've had to try to find ways to um, to understand how students have been impacted um, both by COVID-19 and other socio-political issues, uh, but but really to try to um, better understand how we as educators can address those issues. But first, before we address them, we've, we've got to assess them to really see what's going on.
0: Tony, thanks so much. Uh, Wayne Hilson from Cornell, another one of our track leaders in STEM education. Wayne, you've heard Nick and Tony talk about the purpose of the STEM education track, including some of the themes of this year's presentations. Looking ahead, what are some trends and opportunities related to the presentations and topics in the track this year? Wayne.
9: Um, Thanks, Stephen. I I think one of the primary pieces is how do we think about assessment work in online environments. Uh, Sometimes we think about, um, uh, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention and having to pivot so abruptly uh, in in response to COVID-19 has forced a lot of us um, across different types of institutions to think about how do we go about assessing competency building and things of that sort in an online environment. How do we um, assess um, how students um, navigate in a traditional lab setting uh, when we're talking about um, engaging them in a virtual lab type of a context? So I think it's um, it's gonna be important for us um, as as STEM professionals, STEM educators to think more expansively as as we uh, move forward uh, thinking about assessment, um, whether it's in a traditional in-person context or um, in increasingly um, diverse um, pedagogical or educational environments. And so virtual labs, how do we use technology to uh, facilitate um, learning and competency building uh, within uh, a virtual lab setting, I think is something that we can think about moving forward and I think it's an opportunity. Another piece is how do we continue to maintain and develop connection between students um, within online environments? Um, There is value and power in um, peer learning and peer mentoring and actually seeing model um, aspects of success in an educational environment. And so how do we foster connection? How do we foster um, healthy team dynamics? Um, Many of the skills that our students are going to have to learn and and become very competent at once they transition into uh, a STEM work environment. So how do we foster and facilitate um, and maintain and sustain those powerful connections in online environments. And I think lastly, how do we leverage the benefits of virtual education um, instead of just mitigating concerns? Um, We saw on both sides of the coin issues of access where on a positive note, um, because we went virtual, we were able to, and many institutions were able to um, expand their offerings um, to a larger um, body of individuals. Um, Whether it's, uh, you know, uh, co-curricular type uh, opportunities, um, connecting undergraduate research for credit type opportunities to a larger um, network of students. But also on the flip side, um, there are still issues of access related to SES, uh, first gen, uh, low income families and having access to the technology and the connectivity. And so uh, there are opportunities for growth. And there are opportunities for some very candid discussions about to the extent we're providing access to students, no matter uh, where they are, um, whether it's SES or what have you. So uh, I think those trends, if we really take the time to work together and and think through these, uh, can actually move the dial forward uh, as it relates to um, STEM education.
0: Wayne is describing issues of access equity, and referenced SES to include socioeconomic status. These are unique, of course, to the STEM education track, but they also have salience to other parts of higher education as well. So Wayne, thank you for those important trends and reminders. Let me now ask each of you to briefly take a minute to talk about a piece of advice or recommendation you'd like to leave with our listeners. We'll start with Nick, then continue to Tony and conclude with Wayne. Nick, a piece of advice or recommendation from you.
8: Well, I, I want to start by commending uh, everyone listening and, and even those who are not, of course, for continuing the great work of serving our students to the best of our abilities during these times. Even though the pandemic has pushed us further than any of us would have liked, the general response by faculty and staff has been to find ways to provide students with the education they need. Now, more than ever, we need to be flexible and innovative with our assessment methods and indeed our education. But we can leverage this enormous disruption in our practices to drive new and perhaps more effective practices.
0: Nick, thanks so much for that. Let's continue. A final thought or recommendation from Tony, Tony Chase.
7: Yes, I I think that the important piece is to continue the discussion, is to not stop here, because while we have plenty of literature and plenty of background on how to make an online class, even a STEM education online class, um, effective in certain ways, we don't have that um, that literature background on how to do that uh, in the middle of a pandemic and a national crisis or emergency. And, and specifically, uh, there are certain courses that are just not um, traditionally offered in the online setting that have now been forced to be moved into an online setting. And so everybody is trying to develop and and act and analyze assessment. In a way that, that we just haven't had to do before. And so while, of course, publication and presentation is going to be um, the traditional route for academics to get this information out in a more urgent setting, I think that the discussion with colleagues and on our listservs and on our Facebook groups or wherever it is um, or, or to, is is important in order to understand exactly what's going on and what others are doing, what's been proven to be effective. Uh, Because by discussing this with each other, I think that's the way that we can kind of narrow down the best practices um, within our specific
0: settings. Thank you, Tony. Let's turn now to Wayne for a piece of advice or recommendation. Wayne.
9: Thank you. Um, You know, as I'm thinking about this, we're in a very unique position, I think, um, as institutions of higher education and that we can take advantage of the interdisciplinary nature of what we do. And so if I were to give a piece of advice um, to STEM um, professionals, educators, what have you, is to truly tap into the intellectual property, the expertise, best practices of professionals outside of your academic area. Um, As we saw with um, pivoting to virtual instruction and the use of Zoom and other Platforms, Zoom fatigue um, is an issue. Um, how do we, motivation of students is an issue, even among staff and faculty? So, how do we tap into the expertise of our students' affairs, affairs professionals, our new student orientation professionals, or what have you, who have best practices associated with how do we engage students? How do we create programming and use technology and use various mediums, our uh, media? to um, make sure uh, presentations and programming is interactive, um, that we're uh, keeping students motivated to come back um, and engage in in the learning. And so utilizing their expertise as um, having to um, make sure students are still pumped up about being um, in in a space, um, they have things that they do that as on the academic side that we can definitely tap into. I think this is another opportunity to collaborate with um, offices of uh, student disability services and thinking about universal design. I believe that this pivot towards um, virtual instruction has opened up um, some some deficiencies or deficits, but also some opportunities as we think about different ways of engaging students who are differently able as well. And so, I think collaboration. And really taking advantage of the expertise that exists at our institutions outside of our our, um, customary areas or the areas that we're used to can be a, a wonderful opportunity to really move the dial forward.
0: Wayne, thank you very much. We've been speaking with Wayne Hilson, Tony Chase, and Nick Curtis, all leaders of the STEM education track at the Assessment Institute. Nick, Wayne, Tony, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. We are here with Anne Weiss and Kristen Norris, two colleagues leading the community engagement track at the Assessment Institute. Anne, Kristen, welcome to the program.
10: Thank you. Thank you for
0: having us. Glad you're both here. And Kristen, let's begin with you. Uh, For listeners who may not be familiar, what is the purpose of the community engagement track and why is this important to our understanding of assessment and improvement?
11: Um, It's a great question. The purpose of the actual community engagement track is to support a growing need to understand the impacts of community engagement meaning when the university works in and with the community to achieve mutually beneficial goals, what does that work look like and what are the impacts of that. Historically, service learning was the root of the assessment in the community engagement track, particularly for understanding student learning. But over time, we have witnessed an increased need to understand the impacts beyond student civic learning to now include faculty as engaged scholars as well as community outcomes. We're ultimately trying to examine how campus and community partnerships contribute to any sort of desired outcomes we seek to understand for the community for students, for the faculty and for our institutional um, institutional effectiveness as well. And um, I'll let Anne add any other things that she might want to say about that.
0: Kristen thanks. I appreciate your leadership of the community engagement track in addition to working as a colleague at IEPUI and a colleague of ours at Purdue University, and let's come to Anne to hear your thoughts.
10: I'd like to just hit quickly on that word improvement. And so, what's significant about our track focusing on community engagement is how we can have conversations about improving the dual public mission of higher education. So, as you may recognize, higher education in the United States of America is both a public good, as in it's a consumable public good, as it also exists for the public good. And so part of our efforts in leading this track is to focus on improving those dual missions, those dual public missions of higher education. In essence, though, what really today is um, the crux of our track and where we can focus on improvement is examining partnerships. So we've had an increase in interest and an increase in presentations related to how we're exploring or examining Partnerships and two key elements of partnerships and community engagement is that they're mutually beneficial and reciprocal in nature, and that they are done, therefore, with high fidelity in the areas of being reciprocal and mutually beneficial. Therefore, we're really looking to address how to improve partnerships by collecting data, tracking, and monitoring those partnerships, and of course, asking tough questions. About how they're going and what can be done to improve those two elements of reciprocity and mutually beneficial community partnerships.
0: Kristen, you heard Ann mention about mutually beneficial partnerships in the context of the spirit of reciprocity. What are some of the important cross cutting themes, ideas, and issues being discussed during this year's track?
11: Well, it became very apparent that assessment of community engagement is more important than ever as campuses are trying to understand the social inequities that persist in our society. Um, So, for example, community engagement has highlighted challenges that faculty, particularly faculty of color or underrepresented groups within their discipline, face in the promotion and tenure process. So taking a community-engaged approach to teaching or research is harder to demonstrate its impacts If review committees rely upon the traditional marks of scholarship and or don't value or recognize the perspectives of community partners as peers, similar to the way we value external reviewers or other academics, in many ways, the work that we do in higher education and its intended beneficiaries in many ways of our community, the voices of those communities are left out of the conversations of assessment. They're left out of the conversations of how we recognize and reward the work they're left out of the conversation on how the institution tries to advance in general. Uh, We had several sessions that highlighted these types of themes and that I'm mentioning and how we see um, the problems and things that are perpetuating the inequities in the diversity of the pastoria. There's one other theme that I would highlight is how we do the work of assessment is also shifted. So historically, we looked at a lot of program evaluation or institutions that were trying to leverage what we call the Fabulous Five. The the Fabulous Five is what I refer to as the number of students, the number of courses, the number of faculty, the number of community partners, and the number of service hours. And that when we were addressed with um, issues of racism or COVID or any other crisis you can imagine that's currently happening or what might happen in the future, it became challenging for campuses to better understand how the institution is working to address those when we were counting those fabulous five numbers. And so I guess what I'm saying in in short is that tracking who does what, where, with whom, and for what purpose is a critical step towards understanding the impacts of our engaged institutions.
0: Kristen, looking ahead, what are some trends and opportunities you see in the field of community engagement, and how are we preparing to address those based on some of the presentations at this year's Institute?
11: I would highlight two trends that I see coming about, and the first is external influences. And by external influences, I mean accreditation, rankings, grant requirements, that sort of external things. Who do we we respond to? Um, in terms of rankings, the in the United States in general is gravitating now towards the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, commonly referred to as the SDGs, um, and the Times Higher Education has these new impact rankings around that. It shouldn't be surprising that goal number 17, the one goal that everyone has to submit evidence of in order for the rankings, is partnerships. Um, Ultimately, how do we create pathways for students to explore these SDGs is really fundamental. For example, you know, sustainable development goal number four is around quality education as a social justice issue is more than just training uh, people to become teachers. It's understanding the history of education and how education has been funded, how policy affects the quality of an education. So the SDGs are interesting because you might just look at it as like another designation or ranking, but the reality of it is we see them as providing a framework for how to leverage higher education and what it functions—the nature of teaching, research, and service—and how doing that in partnership with others can result in a sort of what I would say as a choose-your-own-adventure for our students. That regardless of whatever discipline or their major. They give us a framework for thinking about why higher education matters, and so I think it's an external influence that's causing a positive outcome for higher ed. Um, Other types of external influences include accreditation, the Higher Learning Commission in particular is thinking about the work of civic learning, um, political engagement, and the role of higher education in teaching civics, and how to have civil-civic dialogue, uh, particularly in this election cycle, has been particularly important. And we also see changes in grant requirements. So some of the requests that I get personally for information has to do with how we're looking at partnership work within uh, how a grant funder is expecting us to execute and achieve the objectives of a grant in partnership with others. So that's external influences, I would just say there again, are the accreditation, the rankings and grant requirements and awards and designations that are influencing us to think a little bit differently. And I think we'll see those play out in the track in the coming years. And the last one that I see as another trend is new methods of thinking about assessment. Partnerships look different amidst COVID. Uh, We are literally not sending students into the community. We are not literally interacting with others. We are literally thinking about racism in a different way. And we do community engagement can be useful to looking at our systemic inequalities but that doesn't mean that we went to a specific community partner. Instead, we may have worked with a community. And so we're really having to think differently about our assessment methods to understand what's working, what's not working. Things like social network analysis may help us to better understand how COVID has changed our partnership work. We are trying to re-examine maybe what does successful partnerships even mean? Um, who do we value collaborations with? Collective impact models that might require multiple sources and types of data, Um, geolocation. All of these are examples what I'm trying to illustrate for you that I think the assessment and how we think about doing assessment and data collection will fundamentally shift.
0: And thoughts from you.
11: Thank you. I think we have a lot of opportunities in the community engagement
10: track, and we're definitely seeing trends coming about. What I'd like to talk about is, Those who pay attention to our track will always be able to find topics and specific examples from other institutions that are at the beginner level, the intermediate and the advanced level. We try very hard as we're reviewing those proposals that come in to find a smattering that hits on all of those levels. So people will always find examples from colleagues in certain circumstances or in specific contexts, given their institutions, where they're just at the starting line. And a lot of us are right at the starting line, of trying to figure out something about how to track, monitor or assess and evaluate something about community engagement. Again, whether that's about students and student learning, staff, faculty opportunities, and maybe even alumni. In fact, this year was a great year where we got to showcase not only those beginner steps, but all the way to and through following up with alumni as Kristen, one of her colleagues, presented on that very, very tough area to crack, which is finding our alumni and uncovering the impacts on alumni of not only community engagement activities, but all all other things related to higher education opportunities as well. So again, the opportunity is to always find something that will fit what you need at that time. And when people come back multiple years in a row, which we always have people following our track coming every year, coming every other year, they tend to report that they find something that they can immediately take back and apply to their institution. So the next thing I'd like to hit on is a trend. And we've seen this in the number of years that this track has existed, which is the obvious overlapping of assessing community engagement with the three legs of the stool that is higher education in the USA. So the Venn diagram that is research, teaching and service. Something to do with assessing or evaluating community engagement usually does not just deal with one aspect of that leg of the stool, it deals with all of them. And so there's an obvious opportunity and a trend towards uncovering what is that overlap? How do we explore the relationships and dynamics of community engagement and research practices that relate to faculty members teaching practices, and of course relate to their own service agenda, let alone, The service of that institution or department or program or individual to and with the community itself. So again, I feel that a great trend that you will see as we continue to accept proposals and as great leadership goes on in the Assessment Institute and within this track is you'll continuously see representatives talking about their exploration of either one leg of those stool or all legs of those stools as it relates to community engagement and higher education.
0: Let me ask each of you to take just a brief moment to offer a piece of advice or recommendation to our listeners. Kristen,
11: I believe that community engagement professionals and institutional research or assessment professionals need each other more now than ever. Now is the time to be doubling down our efforts on tracking, monitoring, assessing, and evaluating community engagement. At some point in the next year, someone is going to come to you and ask. To What did your institution do in 2020? Or what did your institution do in response to the COVID crisis or issues of racism in your community? We're going to need to be able to answer some really difficult questions that we've never been challenged to answer before. And so I think that we need to use this moment in history to get really clear about what it is that we need to know, why, who needs to hear it. And what evidence are you going to need in order to make a compelling argument and move forward with data collection planning from there?
0: And your final thought as well.
10: Thank you. I'd really like to encourage individuals to realize the power that comes with rigorous and authentic data collection opportunities, especially in civic and community engagement realms. So as it's been said before, now more than ever, we're realizing the power that comes with having good data at your fingertips in order to be able to answer the phone call that most all community engagement professionals get at some time, which is, what are we doing about insert issue here (laughs) with our community? And having that at your fingertips, not just having to go to your tried and true close-knit group of faculty and staff who you know are always doing something about an issue in and with the community, meaning having more data at your fingertips at any one given time is power and is powerful. So I'd like to encourage my colleagues in the spheres of community engagement, assessment, and institutional research to recognize that power and take an opportunity to organize with others on their campus about how to collect better and more data on the public missions of their higher education institutions.
0: We've been speaking with Anne Weiss from Purdue University and Kristen Norris from IUPUI, both leaders of the community engagement track. Kristen, and thanks for joining us.
10: Thanks, Stephen. It was a great time. Thank you.
0: This has been Leading Improvements in Higher Education, a service of the Assessment Institute in Indianapolis. Be sure to listen to part one of our 2020 Assessment Institute recap in season one, episode 14. Learn more and access other episodes at our website, assessmentinstitute.iupui.edu. Our sponsor for this season is Watermark, the largest global provider of educational intelligence software solutions for higher education. Learn more at watermarkinsights.com. Our producers are Chad Beckner, Caleb Keith, and Shirley Yorger, with original music composed by Caleb Keith. If you know someone who might enjoy the podcast, please encourage them to give us a listen. We appreciate you helping to spread the word. I'm Stephen Hundley from IUPUI, inviting you to join us again for Leading Improvements in Higher Education.